Welcome to the Mortal Realms. Grab your hammer so we can clear a path through the chaos and forge our own narratives in the Age of Sigmar. Your allies through the Realm Gate this episode are... I'm Davey, or as my people know me, Dances with Dracos. And I'm Eric. I've got 99 problems, but Zinch ain't one. This is Mal. I've just spent Christmas at the Neverland Ranch. Shepard! This episode, we're going to travel through the Realm Gate to Shimon, the Realm of Metal. We'll be following Thostus Bladestorm, the Celestial Vindicators, and Vandus Hammerhand's Hammers of Sigmar, as they scour the hanging valleys of Anvrock for a prize beyond measure. We'll be covering the story Storm of Blades from the Realmgate Wars book Warstorm, as well as the Eldritch Fortress from the Realmgate Wars book Galmaraz. Both were written by Guy Haley, who is very well known for his 40k writing. We'll also be covering the battle scrolls found in the first two campaign books that relate to these stories, and as always, sharing our fun with Age of Sigmar and encouraging you as we grow the community. Happy holidays, everybody. I've been uh, doing a little bit of hobby um, mm-hmm. through the season. Um, I'm not traveling as much now that uh, with the holidays uh, going on, so I've been <laughs> able to... The, the, the sleeves in the garage for another year? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> until until the first week of January, and then I'm back on the road, I guess, a little bit more. But uh, yeah, I've been actually getting a, a little bit more done um, on the road to, to Paca and uh, focusing on getting my army completed um, and having a lot of fun. So how about you guys? Any... any uh, any tick marks in your progress, in your uh, hobby? Progress, uh, does acquiring things count as progress? Probably yes. No, I, I've done very little hobby progress for Age of Sigmar, apart from I was blessed by Nurgle on Christmas morning with uh, with a Lord of Plagues and a pack of uh, Future Blight Kings. So anyone who listened to last episode... Uh, I was about re- to say, that was your recommendation, <laughs> yeah, right? <laughs> yeah, re- realized that... Um, well. At the start of the GW Advent calendar, they decided to make it Chaos Warbands, you know, grow your own Chaos Warband. It literally was yeah. a big middle finger from Nottingham to me, saying that I have to try hard not to get this stuff. Um, so yeah, it turned up in my in, in my stocking on Christmas morning, so I'm very happy. Yeah, you're saying St. Nick is one of our listeners, huh? Um, I've, been, uh, I've been putting together a Gorgon, which has been a really fun piece to use on the table. Yeah. Real fun. <laughs> I need to start putting like necromancer and lich priest kill kill markings on his arm, you know, tattooing <laughs> one because he's he's racking up a fair number here. But uh, I am uh, definitely into the alarmed phase of uh, prep for Paca. But we'll we'll talk more about are that you, another time. Are you going to take the Gorgon to Paca? Yeah, that's the plan. How do you are you um, sure that there are enough skulls on that model? Because <laughs> when I was painting mine, I was just you know, I felt like I could have done more skulls, more. Uh, yeah. Oh, I should say no. Is that I've done mine as a cyborg. Is yours a gorgon? I've done mine up as a cyborg. He's uh, yeah, potato, potato. Yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly. No, it's, 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 it's pretty yeah, banana town. Like skull loincloth, skull necklace. You know, I don't. Uh, I've been painting skeletons as my whole army, so I don't know what the problem yeah. is. No, no sympathy from you. All right. <laughs> Uh, no, I'm excited. It's it's been a it's been a fun model, and it's uh, it's been I've been enjoying the army. So, um, but that is what we got going on. Let's see what the community's got going on. The community phase. In the community phase, we talk about news and events that are significant to the AOS community. All right. So, actually, there's quite a bit we wanted to to just touch on. So we got to touch on it kind of quickly. Um, but there's so much kind of creation. Uh, in the Age of Sigmar community um, online. So we wanted to bring up 
quite a few of these just to keep everybody up to date, um, just on some things to check out. First off, we have Tyler Emerson's Age of Sigmar directory, and uh, you can find it most readily by following him at Scrubby and Wells on Twitter. Yeah, and uh, this is a document he's put together. It It's an amazing amount of information he has in here. Give an example, his uh, table of contents has 33 different items, and it's everything from you know, resources to get you started, uh, YouTube resources, event reports, comps and guides, people you can follow on Twitter, uh, unofficial battle plans. It's it's everything he can. He has scoured the internet for that has something to do with Age of Sigmar. Wow. He's go down. He's got active links with all of them, and uh, and then he's even taking the time to hashtag them red uh, with you know asterisks like this is highly recommended. So if you just want to skim and you know, start off with the highly recommended stuff. Every every time I think uh, I've got a little bit of extra time, I'll go and browse around and see if there's uh, something I haven't checked out yet. That's really cool. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm looking at it now. Yeah, it looks it looks awesome. It looks really cool. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. There's there's more stuff. I, I'm not exactly sure. Like, I feel like if I just tried to read through all this, I, I don't know how he's he's done all this. Um, if he has like a uh, listening to his uh, YouTube channel and some interviews. Uh, he says that this is the kind of thing he does with all of his pursuits. So it's kind of something he really enjoys contributing to to his hobby and to his environment by kind of creating these directories. So he's bringing it to to our community and definitely glad um, to have that resource. Yeah, we dropped him a line and asked him how people how he'd like people to get in touch with you. You can either follow him at Scrubby and Wells on Twitter. And uh, you also, he's also just put up a domain, and uh, you've got that there. Yeah, ageofsigmar.org. Pretty simple. Yeah. Um, so next on the list uh, is the Cerebros list, um, and we've talked about it in previous episodes. Um, it's just a directory of events that are going on. If you have an Age of Sigmar event, go put it on there so that we can kind of just keep these all collected in the same place. We really want to just encourage, if people are already doing something really well, we don't, I mean, we can't communicate all the events that are happening in this short time frame so just go there um uh and uh you know check out the cerebros list do google search um and uh use that for your keeping up to date on events in your area and there's a lot happening for age of sigmar in the upcoming year so um the next uh speaking of when we were talking about paca yep. and a little bit of of craziness what happened to you this week big, big deal for us is uh, sdk which is what paca is one of the compacts out there that's a it's a point system which has this crazy mathematical formula i don't know if you've actually looked at what goes into it i don't look at math yeah it is uh it, it looks like a algebra equation from hell but uh somebody else has done it so not my problem but there was an update recently to it and so that meant our army list updated again so uh sdk recently changed and uh, also the pools uh pool choices for the clash comp uh, those are recently updated and you can you can go to scroll builder uh, scrollbuilder.com and it's a website for constructing it's uh he's asking people if they if they notice errors with it to, to give them a shout so it's not you know guaranteed to be 100 percent airtight but it is it is pretty good and it's it's I, I like it for uh, putting lists together. Yeah, he had hex race for 1.5 points for a little bit. Sounds like they, a bargain, but... <laughs> <laughs> uh, but he got, he got... I let him know, and he updated yeah. it right away. So, yeah, he's pretty responsive on top of it, so it's pretty cool. Yeah. Anyway, so if you uh, if you happen to be in a group that's using those, uh, might want to take a look and uh, see if they've updated. Um, then uh, uh, Warhammer World's having quite a few events. Um this latest one in December, and the reason we bring it up is somewhat because it's 
We're visiting Shaman today, uh, the Roma Medal, and this one took in place. It was called the Trials of the Oegir, um, and it was kind of a cool uh, backstory. There's a, a, a valley, a hanging valley that uh, is inhabited by these wizards, these ice wizards, and every so many years they kind of they have a great winter. Uh, great storm, and that's the time they wage war to kind of reposition themselves in their society, and they hire on mercenaries to fight battles for them. And so it was uh, bring an army. They had their you know pretty interesting rules uh, for for army kind of building, and then you bring one ice wizard. So yeah. it could be any model model to be an ice wizard, and it had unique rules for that. Um, yeah. And so just really cool, like being able to push people on lakes of ice in random directions, and and. Uh, Having a thing on Twitter like boards without terrain because right. it was just a big glass ice scape. Yeah. Um, what what I found interesting about this in general, this kind of representative, they they seem to be having uh, these events and they're coming up fairly frequently. They're themed. They're kind of fun. And I don't I don't have a sense. Maybe you have a better idea, Mel, is how much they they did this before, how much they do it for forty k. But so it's um, um, it is it, it is kind of an, a new thing. Uh, th- the flavor that they're trying to add to it. So in must have been November, early November, I went to um, a 40K event, which is all about, the, it was called the Warp Storm. And it was very, very psyker heavy. Like every every game, they'd be rolling on this new chart that had all sorts of crazy psychic type stuff going on. Um, and it was very, very different to any of the kind of normal Battle Brothers events they'd done before. It was very cool. You know, I, I wrote to the event team afterwards and said, hey, guys, thanks very much. It was, it was awesome. Uh, you know, th- those guys there, um, you know, you've got uh, Nick Baton and John Bracken are the, the two sort of events honchos um, over there at Warhammer World. And those are, they're such nice guys. And they really take on board you know, uh, what, their, what their customers or their visitors are saying and try and, and you know, integrate it into the next, uh, the next few events. So I think that, I think that, that Warhammer World events are really in safe hands with, with those two. And just looking at the, the upcoming events right now, uh, you know, they've got, I think, another, well, obviously they've got the birthday event uh, this coming weekend, which will be January 2nd, 3rd. Um, over by the time you guys listen to this probably but um, I'm looking forward to going up there on the Sunday and they have a Throne of Skulls in, set in, in Rotwater Blight so uh, in the realm of Garan and then they have a Throne of Skulls in February which is all about the Seraphon and then they have another one in March Trials of the Ever Chosen so you know they're, they're, they're cracking Age of Sigmar events you know like proper weekend long events every month or so and I know I have no doubt that they're going to be awesome going forward so uh, really excited to try and get up to one of those um, Mal, you were telling us a little bit about a new app that came on the scene. <laughs> yeah. So um, the so the, the Games Workshop's web team or their app development studio released something called the Warhammer uh, Quiz app, which has sucked up an enormous amount of my life so far. Um, basically, it costs uh, I think it's like two pounds twenty nine on the, uh, which is probably like three or four dollars on the um, on the app store. And what it is is just it's like a it's a you know, a set of multiple choice questions that flick up one after the other. You get a certain amount of time to answer these questions, uh, and your points go down based on the amount of time you take to answer them. And they have one uh-huh. they have one which is for Age of Sigmar, one that is for forty k. One that's for the Horus Heresy, and then they have some like upgrade packs, which I haven't got yet. One for Tau, one for Space Wolves. Just sort of test your knowledge, uh, and you know, and it's it's linked into your um, 
uh, Apple Game Center account. So yeah, okay, cue everyone moaning that you can't get it on Google, Android, whatever. But um, so I guess it'll come, <laughs> it'll come out eventually. Uh, and then so you have like a global leaderboard. And as I was saying to you guys earlier on, I just cracked the top ten for yeah. uh, for the for the for the Age of Sigmar. Or I think it's just maybe just Stormcast Eternals. Yeah, Stormcast Eternals um, quiz pack. So I made the top ten. So I'm pretty feeling pretty good about that. But the, so it's a challenge to out, out to all the other uh, podcasts and YouTube channelers out there that uh, we have a a host here who's cracked the top ten of the yeah. Warhammer quiz app. <laughs> yeah. I don't know if you know this, be but uh, Mal's a big deal. So <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I will say I, what I will say is that I, I looked at the uh, the, the Warhammer forty thousand one and the, the let's see the top. I think the top 30 or 40 people on there have got full marks. So it's like the, the best you can get oh. 100 out of 100, wow. which is crazy. Wow. And I and I, I, won't, I won't pass on my exact score, but I, at the moment I'm a long way from there. And I think only the person who's top of the Age of Sigmar one just now has 100 out of 100. But you We need, don't need the details, Mel. You're top 10 and that's all yeah, this podcast okay, 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 okay. I got it, I got it, I got it. <laughs> you need to print out a screenshot of that frame and put it on the wall. Yeah. So that's, <laughs> <laughs> better half would really appreciate that, yeah. And yeah. I'm coming for you, Mel. <laughs> I look for. I look forward to it. I look forward to it. And uh, what better way to bone up on your knowledge so you can ace this Age of Sigmar quiz app than uh, to listen to our story phase? Yeah, which is coming up. The story phase. In the story phase, we delve into the stories, characters, creatures, and environments of the nine realms. All right. So. This is a, a two-part. So similar to our previous episodes, what we've chosen to do is stay within one realm. And there's two stories that uh, cross this between uh, Warstorm and Galmaraz, um, both the campa- two campaign books that are out uh, and the two novels that are out. Um, so, uh, and it was, it's interesting. Um, we've all kind of talked about, um, and maybe because it's metal and not um, the realm of life, that this felt, uh, Mal, you said, a little more sterile um, as a Post a very nurgly, mm-hmm. <laughs> and Zinch uh, and Davey, you mentioned too. Zinch personality, maybe not having it quite as much character as um, as some of the nurgle villains, and yeah. will come as some of these guys get introduced. I I think uh, I think at times I don't know if you know. I, so you'll read someone like Kairos Fate Weaver, and you're like, oh, you know, there's some interesting things going on. But some of their Zinch characters, it seems like they're just not quite sure what to do with them. You know, like uh, particularly the ones who are not. Not casters. Uh, it doesn't really flesh out for me what it what it means to be a non magic using follower of Zinch. They they just so Davy, like you you yeah. I think you said this and maybe even you've you've repeated it over a couple of t- over a couple of episodes. But I'm you, I'm sure it's one of the first things I remember you saying is how you felt that any any um, we're talking about the Bloodbound and any author that can make you feel or connect with the bad guys has done yeah. has done a great job, um, yeah. and I think that. You know, I don't want to. I don't want to be down on Guy Haley here because there are some. Some of the characterization is really good, but I just think that that yeah, you're right. Zinch is just a harder sell to yeah. uh, to get your head around because so many of the you know what are the you know, like blue horrors, pink horrors, um, you know, and flamers. They're they're kind of there's no there's no way they could have personality. Whereas if you've got you know the uh, nurglings, I mean, they're just funny to start with, and you know, mm-hmm. the there's there's no I guess all a lot of the the great thing about Nurgle followers um, is that they tend to be uh, humans or mortals that have gone off the off the rails, whereas a lot of this of the Zinch uh, 
units or, or characters because they're made of kind of pure chaos to start with. They never had the chance to be particularly uh, entertaining unless they get to sort of, you know, super greater demon Kairos fate weaver kind of level. Yeah, I, I agree. I agree. Well, and uh, so the these books, um, the story in uh, chapter one of uh, Storm of Blades um, starts with the story of Prince Karen um, or Saren, um, not certain. Um, and uh, his story coming back from some battle, um, reaching his home, being um, uh, ambushed uh, or seeing some beast men taking on uh, villagers, going to rescue them and not being able to um, survive. And in his um, uh, death, he called to Sigmar to give him strength, not to save him, not to protect him, but give him vengeance. Um, and uh, when we um, kind of learn more about um, this Prince Saron, he eventually becomes the main character in this story, or one of the main characters in this overarching story, and that's Thostis Bladestorm. Quickly into, into chapter two, we start talking about, they, they kind of lay out um, in some interesting ways. There's like 5,000 of these Celestial Vindicators. Um, each one of them, Sigmar's kind of grouped them by some personality traits. Um, I always like to think of them as just individual aspects of Sigmar himself. Um, and so these are those who are most focused on vengeance, and they called for strength. Um, and he's uh, sent, sending them down to Shimon. And what he's told them is that they're there to try and find the Dwarden, signs of them, and make contact, and to uncover the Silver Way, which is a Dwarden um, kind of a... I think it is a realm gate. Yeah, but it seems like it, it kind of bypasses the realm gate system a little bit. It allows It's definitely kind of set apart, it seems like. It allows them to get more places um, in different ways. I would, oh, yeah. I mean, I, I guess I understood it as like a, a, a more pivotal realm gate, you know, okay. capable, of, capable of more than... Uh, more than just some of the more minor ones, sure. and I, I think I think we're going to see that. You know, some realm gates are more important than others. Yeah. Some some you know exactly what they do. Some you have no idea. Excellent, exactly. So that's what they're kind of sent for, um, and that's that's the mission that Sigmar has sent them on, and what we learn. So yeah. in the next chapter, we learn um, and are introduced to Efrix, the ninth disciple of the ninth ninth fortress. And I'll just say for a moment, like I have really enjoyed Age of Sigmar has gone full bore back into the the sacred numbers of the different gods. Like that is a that is a big deal. Again, that, however, that's kind of fun. However, however, what that does mean is Efrix is eighty first on the depth chart. <laughs> so, <laughs> so 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 I don't like like as we find out later on, it doesn't go so well for him. So like, yeah. like you, he should have probably figured that was coming. They're also pretty light and loose. Like eighty-one is a is a big deal because that's nine nines, but ninety-nine is cool too because that you know you're like oh, I guess we're not too tight anyway. Yes, <laughs> so so Efrix has a dream uh, of Azir, uh, um, the Azir invasion that we talked about in the Gates of Azir, and he quickly gets up. He looks out to his windows and he sees spots of clouds and lightning on uh, multiple horizons. He goes to his scrying room which is shaped like an eye of each symbol. And he uh, waits for the sun to rise in this perfect kind of angle that the sun comes to, makes the gold in his liquid gold um, perfect, and he tries to see. 
he can't see he, can, he can't see into the minds of the stormcast it's hidden from him um, and what we learn about what his role in this realm has been is that he has built like spent all of his time building like the perfect fortress um, it is uh, got eight towers it has uh, and then the I think the ninth one is his tower that reaches high up in the sky in an unbelievable amount I think he'd probably need triple the um, chaos uh, Dreadholds in order to... Yeah, I was going to say, it's only about $5,000 worth of, of Chaos Dreadhold <laughs> so scenery. So you take the big one that they have, and then you have to add a bunch <laughs> of tower pieces to the top. Um, and uh, he's asked his all the other people around, all the other Chaos Lords around to bring him skulls, and he transmutes them into copper skulls um, and places them all around to in order to absorb as much magic into this as he can. Um, and uh, then... Ephrix is visited by Kairos. Yeah, it's chapter four. And having having talked about the difficulty, you know, it's not that you identify with Kairos, but this is he's a pretty interesting character to read because you have the the head in the past and the head in the future. Yeah. And they're arguing with each other, but also kind of on the same page. You know, it's just it, it's uh it's a neat blending of two two consciousnesses back to one against you know, so they're arguing with you know, squabbling a little bit, but also also trying to Get the same thing across, and that must be a that must be a bear to write. Yeah, and I mean, I think it's interesting. It's an interesting um, statement about a Zinch follower. Is that they're either always looking forward, and maybe hard to see what's happening right now, uh, but they're always scheming, always planning, always looking forward. And it seems like also always holding on to their grudges, the things of the past, the things that have you know stopped them, or you know who's who's been against them. I, I think if you look at Efrix. Him and Kairos are the same, but Kairos is a, is a big exaggeration of that. I think it's interesting. So what I'm getting from this is that you guys are saying that Luke Skywalker followed Zinch because Yoda was like, never his mind on where he was, mm, what he was doing. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly. Totally. totally. <laughs> every, every, it's every single episode. Some horrendous yeah. reference to sci-fi. Good. Good. Yep. Timely, too, at the Star Wars. So what was also interesting, though, and we read about in some of the campaign books, though, that uh, Sigmar spent a lot, uh, put a lot of effort into keeping uh, Zinch out of his business. Right, hiding it's a big this. deal that Zinch hasn't been able to look into the realm celestial. Right, yep. Zinch is looking everywhere, but can't see what's going on. That that's that's a big triumph of the creating a fog of war, so that this yep. lightning invasion has some chance of, of being successful. And Kairos says something about you know he see, part of him sees into the future. So part of Kairos's role is that. He sees what Zinch can't. There's some looking into the depths of things that, that Zinch keeps himself from, and Kairos plays that role. So Kairos says that he knew about it, but he didn't tell anybody about it. Yeah, I'm trying to remember what the uh, what his his backstory is because he was obviously around for yeah. a long time in the world no, that I, was, and he did he he I, got he got. I'm sure. I'm sure Zinch kicked him into a vortex or something, and he, he came, did kicked him into the some well of of. Fate or destiny, yeah, or something and he like came that. back, and he and he is he is significantly older and weaker than the other than a regular Lord of Change, and that's reflected in his stats in the game. But he also has a couple of boons based on the fact that he can he can sort of see for yeah he gets this extra yeah. knowledge. Yeah, it's, I'm sure it's cool that it's cool that they're they're continuing that kind of story because uh, he's you know he's not he's not the biggest character that was around in in the game beforehand, but but mm-hmm. it's definitely awesome that. Uh, 
you know, the, the, the captain going. I mean, he's you know he's no Manfred or whatever, but he's he's still a cool guy. <laughs> and we, so he and Efrix make a plan, or they talk about their plan, and they they squabble over who knew what and when, and who knows the most, and who can do the most. They make a plan to weaken the Stormcast, draw them to the fortress. And suck the energy, the magic out of them into their copper skulls so he can fi- power his fortress to the max. Yeah, um, for the be- master plan. Because the master plan is to um, pull the whole of Shaman through the, um, uh, what is the name of the gate? Shattered- Crystal. Crystal Shard Gate. Yeah. Sorry. Basically, we're trying to get it to uh, enter and be annexed into Zinch's realm in the realm of chaos. So, so, and um, a part of what we learn is that um, down below in the same fortress, um, he has an artifact yeah. that's of great power that he doesn't. He thinks that Sigmar might be coming for. Yeah. Who knows what it could possibly be? Who knows? We also, it's, yeah, it's interesting, though, because the, the and they sort of, he... he surmises later on that that the the storm host didn't actually know what was there and at no yeah. point you know at no point does um sigmar ever say to the guys you go find me go find me uh gal Marat's, spoiler oh that's true um, right you know and, and and he does seem a bit surprised when they find him later on so maybe this whole kind of you know zine because the idea is that zinch uh, tricked or through yeah, Zinch tricked Sigmar to throw the hammer at him in the first place, mm-hmm. and then hit it in, hit it in the warp, or hit it in the, the realm of chaos. And so this kind of this kind of fog of war works both ways. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So that, some of this comes a little bit later, but it is helpful to to talk about that now. Is um, the, the artifact is Galmaraz, right. um, the hammer, the star hammer, um, and uh, Sigmar wielded it in the time of chaos when he was fighting. Hard. He wielded it in the realm realm that was, yep. yeah, or and, the world that was, and uh, yeah. So he wielded it as a man in the in the world that was, and then in came with him over into the age of Sigmar, and during the age of chaos, was using it to fight off the chaos gods. Mm-hmm. And in his battles, you know, he got tricked into throwing it at a Zinchian something, and it was an illusion, and it w- fell into a tear in the warp mm-hmm. and uh, into chaos and. No, no clue where it went. And it was a huge turning point in in that time. And that's the point which he said, "I don't exactly. have my best weapon. I'm not whole. I can't fight this. I can't win this. Yeah, need um, to back it off." And so this is, um, and and you know, the gates of Azir happened. Those first strikes happened, um, and now he's he's looking for this to kind of bolster up his power. Last footnote on this chapter: we do get a couple extra characters. Lord Merak of Mal, I'm sure you love oh. this name, Manticorea. <laughs> what on earth could he be writing? Well, I think uh, Manticorea is very well known for its its many cockatrices. So no, 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 uh, no Manticore. Oh. Uh, <laughs> uh, and I know that uh, listening to Garage Hammer, being fans of Garage Hammer and Black Sun, um, they started the Manticore Club. Oh yeah, that's right. And that's so they're a, be, there's a throwback. Probably got their head HQ in Manticorea. Yeah. Um, uh, and then King Throned of Crucible, which we will learn more about later. Yeah, but. so we actually learn about that next. Um, Thostus in chapter five, Thostus and uh, his crew jump into the in, into Shimon, and they take kind of survey. Uh, we look about um, Anvrock is a floating continent, and there's a whole bunch of these floating masses, land masses. And this is some of the, the you can see pictures of this in the in the 
books, the, the campaign books themselves. It's yeah. pretty, it's pretty fun. Very fantastical. Yeah. Um, and so seeing, you know, the idea of a, a floating piece of rock, the size of a continent, you know, you know, is pretty gigantic. Um, another landmass is called the crucible. Um, and this one's very important, this story. And it is a uh, hanging valley, but it's like a giant uh, silver lake. And from this floating uh, lake falls the Argent Falls. And it's named such because there is a serpent called Argentine who, I mean, is just visible way off in the distance, um, you know, uh, uh, and is f- flaming the, the base of the crucible, liquefying the silver in, in order to allow it to, to form a waterfall and, and liquefy. Um, when they're there, um, they find evidence of Dwarden mines. And it's kind of disheveled and there's, you know, just um, spoils all around. Um, and we, int- we get introduced to a few of Thostis's crew. We get Eldrock the Castellan, um, Perun, I think I typed that wrong, the Liberator Prime, and um, they are, they're kind of grumbling a bit because of their mission. They are the thirsty, vengeance-seeking um, storm host. And they're on a handshaking mission, you know? And they're like, what, what is this about? You know, same kind of we talked about. They haven't been told that Galmaraz is here. Um, and some of that has to do with... So they they can't reveal that to anybody else. Yeah. They can't act right. in such a way that reveals, hey... Because they would make a beeline straight for the fortress. So, um, and part of the express mission here, like we saw in uh, in the realm of life, they were trying to link up with some of Sigmar's old pantheon. So they're in in the realm of life. They're trying to find Alariel here. They're trying to find yep. Gunni yep. and some of his followers. So, so as they're going through this, though, as they're walking around, they do um, they do have some people that a group that takes over the. Um, right tour gate is one of the gates there and they do it without any resistance but they f- they find some hidden passageways um, and they think that there's some magic that the the Dwarden cast or created it in such a way that their foes could not see it but their allies could and so they end up uncovering this vast city that was not visible to any of the chaos or themselves until they it kind of yeah. explicitly found it it's no taint pr- yeah the, it's and it's really um you know, again, we're we're not. This is not a a, a, a sideswipe at GW, but you can definitely see there's some real token esque imagery here where they they talk about um, the, the the gateway towards the Silverway, and they have you know they have the retributor saying, oh, you know, it was we think it, it just it, it only appeared once a blackbird alighted on the Mount of Stone, which is you know exactly the same way as the back the back yeah. entrance is found in the Hobbit. Um, and, mm-hmm. and it's always, and it also sounds a little bit like um, you know the gates into the mines of Moria. So, so I mean, it's, it's cool. I mean, it's not. I have no problem with it. But you know, it's nice that they you know, they sort of they, they reference that stuff. Yeah. Well, and I think as we start talking through this, there's a lot of things that are super, I don't know, expected, but also I think unique about these realms that takes it really far away from a lot of the Tolkien stuff, which I've, I mean. It's kind of cool. Like I didn't know that particular connection, but it's it seems like it's a herald back to the roots, um, while surrounding it with a lot of really unique um, and new kind of ideas ideation about what fantasy could be. Um, and just as a side note, I was reading. Um, I don't remember. Oh, I think it's in one of the uh, 
uh, Call of Archeon, where mm-hmm. there's a bridge made of birds. Uh, no, that's... Oh, maybe you're right. But I'm, I'm pretty sure that's in the uh, Hammers of Sigmar thing. One of these where it's... Yeah. yeah I mean, it's it's a bridge made of birds tied together. Yeah. Um, just the crazy thing. Like, you don't get that in traditional fantasy. And you'll see some more here, too, um, through this. Um, so they do find their way to the Silver Way. It's revealed to them. They, a couple of people go through it and are able to come back. So mm-hmm. they go back, hit Sigmar, come back through. Um, but they, they, they realize how much in the center of Dwarden civilization they are, and it's just gone, like empty. Um, it's not, um, I can't get the sense that it's been destroyed. It says no chaos taint. But I didn't see that it was like built up either. It was just over time, just um, derelict. Right. You know, d- deserted. Yeah, no sign of no sign of the inhabitants. So they can't they can't even really draw conclusions about where they are. You know what happened to these guys. But uh, um, so they do leave some group at the Silverway, and people are I mean they're chomping at the bit to get vengeance on some. Just let me hit something in the face. Yeah, so it sucks, especially not only are you in this handshaking mission where you're not finding anyone, but now you've got assigned guard duty on it. So they're they're really and you know word starts to filter through that. There's campaigns elsewhere in other realms where they're they're yeah. really getting to get their punches in, so these guys are feeling left out. Um, so what we do though see is in chapter seven we get our first they get what they've been been longing for, and warriors of chaos Zinchian warriors of chaos attack the hidden city. Um, some cool visualization here about the flaming coming and fire coming, um, and then the knights chaos knights come in and Eldrock their castellant goes berserk. Um, he's got this stave, um, long glaive, you know, with an axe on the head and a spear. And he's just jumping in the middle of things, twirling around, and he feels himself going into this kind of giving over to his vengeance um, and has to pull himself back. Um, but they end up kind of routing every one of the chaos warriors there, and there is there is a sorcerer. We don't know the sorcerer's name at this point, Um but later we do find out that it was um, uh, Ephrix coming down to kind of test the waters. And he flies back to Elixia. Part of what we what we talked about earlier is he had, and, and Kairos had talked about weakening the storm cast before they came uh, uh, to the fortress. But he had a different idea. He wants them at full power so he can suck the most magic uh, from them uh, when they get there. So he's trying to bait them right away. So we, the sorcerer and, you know, some of the warriors of chaos flee back towards the south. Uh, chapter 8, we get the Glimmerlands. Thostis takes two-thirds of the host. So, again, some of the host is left there to, to protect the Silverway. And um, he and his Liberator Prime discuss whether, um, I guess they kind of try and bring some humanity to the situation. Now we talked about it. They, they're over, you know, looking over a chaos knight. They pull off his helmet and look at his features, and he's not been mutated. He's not, you know, he's got the chiseled feature. It could be anybody. Mm-hmm. But they talk about well, but he he just attacked us. He had, you know, he chose to be a chaos knight. Right. Well, they're making the point here is like, hey, we've had the advantage of being bottled up in his ear for. Super long time, five hundred years. Yeah, it's a lot easier to be hanging out in Azir where all the chaos has been purged out. What would you be doing if you were sitting in one of these other seven mortal realms and attempting to, you know, survive, or do you just give up and die, or do you, yeah. you know, like they, they, it's a, it's an interesting little 
uh, peace in between fights. It's so. the same. It's the same dilemma as the Bloodbound had, or the uh, the, you know, the guys back in in Akshi. You know, you, the only yep. way, the only way to survive is to is to join them. Yeah. Well, and they talk about this a little bit different too, in that where the that Bloodbound, you know, his village got attacked, and they're saying, "Hey, join us or die." What they're saying here is that. At this point, he probably was born into a world where Zinchi was the only thing. Mm. So it's just part of the culture. It's part of just uh, being born into and then becoming um, a follower. And so is that really a choice when you're just born into it? Um, But then they had some interesting things. Um, There's a a carrion bird whose wings had gears and pistons. Um, and, uh, And, you know, another time where there's... Some and maybe it's only the birds that they're talking about, but other things where they have metal wings and um, the bones of metal. So some interesting kind of where does metal get infused? Yeah, you know if you know if you have a, a world of metal and and you're a growing bird and you're eating things, you know, just getting infused with all the world around you. So what I thought was really interesting about this is that it might uh, telegraph where the company are taking the design. Perhaps a Duarden. There's been a lot of you know they're called the Steamhead Duarden. So yep. what what the dwarves have become, and they're supposed to be a little bit of an amalgamation between old school dwarves and old school um, chaos dwarves. And this idea that you can have these kind of you know steampunk esque uh, creatures running around the place. You know, is are they are we going to see that aesthetic incorporated into the, the the new dwarf line or 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 any updates to the dwarf line? I don't know, but it'd be interesting to see. I, yeah, and actually, I think because they, not too long ago, were releasing the new wave of dwarf models, like the gyrocopters and the, uh, they have the dual kit, the iron breakers, uh, with the the fellows with the guns, and those guys actually, I think they fit more with this, this hinted at aesthetic than they did with their with the old, uh, world that was. So I, I think they may have been had an eye towards this or or. Um, certainly there may be a little back and forth with that. So in chapter nine, uh, we get introduced a little bit more to, to, or we get introduced to Lord Merrick. Um, the most important thing to state here is just, I mean, it's the back and forth. It's the, um, posturing for position who allows who to, um, exist in this world, in this land, who could really, you know, take out the other one if they wanted to. The most important thing that happens here is that Lord Merrick, goes to the balcony of this high tower and dramatically leaps off of it so that his, uh, his loyal manticore can sweep underneath him yeah. in, a, in a romantic scene of uh, man and... Wait. Uh, let's, let's go. Wait. Okay. No, just a, no, a manly back, scene. It's of, back to the future again. Morning McFly steps on the top of Biff's tower and the, uh, the car. I'm sure this happens yeah. in Back to the Future too. I'm sure it does. Yeah. Yep. Or I, any, think, I think there are DeLoreans in the realm of metal as well. So. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Alum, aluminum, aluminium, whatever. That's what it's made of. Cool. So, so in 10 then, uh, the blade storms led by Thostis and the fire blades and the harbingers of Enchits. So there's a number of, of hosts under the Celestial Vindicator yeah, banner um, wearing the, the teal. Um, oh, yeah. So these are all Celestial Vindicators. They're just different. Yep, different uh, okay, under right. different uh, Celestins. Um, are all going towards the Eldritch Fortress, and there's even more coming that are just further away. So they pull some from the Tor Gate. I just thought, I just thought, you know, you guys, you have uh, in Game of Thrones, or like when you often you go to join the Night's Watch, he's going to take the black. I'm going to take the teal. It doesn't, it doesn't have the same ring to it. Yeah. 
So there is kind of some cool descriptions of Zinch destruction, things that are mocked and kind of twisted and statues that are, are um, have pig faces and, you know, um, houses that are upended and standing on their, you know, on their tips of their roofs and that sort of stuff. So that's a cool part of it to read. Um, and, uh, but the, the blade storms, the fire blades, the harbingers of vengeance all charge the fortress and, um, Efrix unleashes, uh, magics and Merrick, um, is holding his men back behind. Um, and so what we, what we get here then, uh, things are coming, you know, out of the, the fortress, there's, you know, knives or swords coming out and flinging at them. And, uh, uh, some stormcast perish and instead of being unleashed up into the sky their lightning ab- gets absorbed into the brass skulls or the the copper skulls yeah um and there's a there's a big kind of like gasp of you know yeah like defeat. if you think you're immortal and then all of a sudden you may not be you know yep so um so yeah liberators were the first to kind of reveal that to us, those uh, bold stormcasts that go before everyone else. Mm-hmm. Um, there's animated suits of armor, which I thought was interesting. Um, usually, I think of that in the undead, uh, but you know, actually, is a is there a connection here with Zinch uh, from the 40k universe? I would imagine, right, Mel? Uh, yeah, Rubik Marines, very cool. Yeah. yeah. Um, so without without getting all. Um, alternate game about this there yeah there is uh, davy's absolutely right there is precedence for zinch being involved in animating um otherwise you know, dead and dusty suits of armor so very cool another another good tie-in cool and then uh out of the gate come merrick and his force merrick on the manicore um he uh Efrix pulls this really crappy trick where he puts up a wall of fire that deflects all of the stormcast attacks bow shots and hammers but the Zinch followers can attack through it effortlessly. Um, but somehow they, uh, I don't know if they, can't remember if they break Lit- some skulls. Literally or. in this case, a wizard did it. Don't worry about it. <laughs> <laughs> um, they manage to break that firewall. They charge the fortress, climb up over the walls. Thostis is just like, you know, uh, beasting out uh, in order to, you know, he's Hulk raging. Um which is why they're probably teal green, right? <laughs> um, and they're destroying copper skulls, which do release the trapped um, storm cast. Um, he clears the wall. I feel like this is something of an oversight from old Efrix. Like, oh, they can just get them back if they bust these skulls <laughs> open. Like, whoopsie. <laughs> I mean, they're just batteries. Yeah. Right? yeah. Copper tops. Yeah. Um, and then uh, Thostis. He, so there's a lot of transmutation going along. And, you know, some storm casts are just being melted into nothing. Somehow, and I, I read it a couple of times, I didn't quite pull it, but he's, Thostis gets hit with the magic and he turns into... Well, this is specifically as a vortex beast, right? So this is a, a vortex beast, is ran, and this is one of the things it does. It, it's just, it's a, it's, a good, it's a good monster to put in a Zinch army, like very thematic, and it, it uh, just has these waves of raw chaos that are morphing and mutating and changing everything around it, and... Uh, by and large, most of the time, it's it's a real bad thing to have random change for you. But so as he's getting transmuted, he mm-hmm. calls to Sigmar, mm-hmm. and a lightning bolt comes down, and somehow it seems like it gels yeah. that mutation, and um, he's he's turned into pure Sigmarite, yeah. um, and he becomes immune to Zinch's magic. Um, 
So he's just in there. He's like Hulk, but made of pure metal. Power level over 9,000 yeah. all of a sudden. And so he, you know, the fortress gets pummeled. America and his army are fleeing. Efrix um, uh, calls upon the trapped power, kind of calls upon Galmaraz, the power of Galmaraz, to help him kind of push one last magic trick, um, cast one last spell. And it's a dangerous one. It's a doozy. Um, it's basically area effect, dark light. Um goes out and he kills everything around him, even the warriors of chaos. Yeah. Um, and uh, But as Thossus is dying, because of the cracks in the fortress, because of the the act that Efric's um, calling upon that uh, power, um, the light is revealed to Thostus. And so he is in 12 reforged, and Sigmar calls to him immediately and asks him what he, you know, to describe what he's found. And then he's joined by Vandis, and and um, the quote at the very end of this, Thostus has found Sigmar's greatest weapon, but in doing so, he has lost himself. And there's a scene in there where he, um, in the next bit where he meets up with Vandis, there's some dialogue, um, or I don't know if it's in this one or in the next one, they have some dialogue, and he's just not his friendly self. Yeah, um, I think it's, but it, I I don't know what, whether you guys uh, would agree with me or not, but I don't I don't know whether this is specifically the reforging process or because he basically took a zinch to the face. So that's why he's, yeah. you know, that's why he's so so infused with with magic and whether that has changed the reforging process for him. I don't know. What, yeah, what you feel is he just a T one thousand Terminator without a soul, um, or is it? Um, so one of the things, uh, and I'll go, I'll go to the evidence in the book, uh, fellas. Uh, <laughs> there's a scene a little bit later on um, that I think might address that a little bit more. Mm-hmm. Um, but I do think, I mean, getting turned into solid metal is, I mean, it's got a, that's pretty, you know, yeah. There, it does seem like there's a connection to like just becoming cold and, yeah. and and you know, inhuman. So. So sorry to kill that discussion. <laughs> no, no, I, I get it. And actually, had I had I read ahead in the show notes properly, I would have realized exactly what you're referring to. And we'll get there. But yeah, no, no. it's a great point. Well, it's, um, and it's interesting because it does paint a little bit of a picture of what this um, storm host uh, is like. Mm-hmm. And we'll get to it in juxtaposition to how Faustus is behaving um, and, and Vandis's concerns. But we do get, we're going to get there really quick because now we're into part two. So, in Galmaraz Part 2, The Eldritch Fortress, we start with a little bit of a prologue, something that, uh, events of the past prior to chaos taking over, and we meet Sword Maiden Solemnus, the high, um, and we meet High Alderman, the High Alderman in Alexia. They don't really give him a name, uh, but they're discussing Galmaraz, and it's interesting back and forth on whether or not they should, because it's sealed behind well, an iron yeah. cage, should they open it up and let Sigmar know, or... You know, Gal, you know, Sigmar left it. He didn't. He left the world. Does he deserve to get it back? And, and so, what's interesting here is you got to imagine that Zinch being Zinch is influencing some of these opinions. Like he does not yeah. want Sigmar. So he's. This is probably Zinch planting the idea. You know, hey, Sigmar left you. Yep. Why? Are, you know, so that that's probably playing. in. what I like about this, besides besides elements that are crucial to this story and why they're here, it is also the first look at an actual society of the realm of metal. Yep. You know, we had to go back a ways to find one that wasn't obliterated, but you get a look at a uh, city and uh, some of the people. So anytime any of the 
actual denizens of the mortal realms pop up, it's it's a little it's a little interesting point for me yeah. to see what's going on. So Solemnus is a sword maiden. She cre- she's like a blacksmith, a swordsmith, and um, has created the the most renowned skills in creating swords. So the sharpest blades, etc. Um, and she's also seems very noble and purposely driven, high in character. Um, her men are killed. She has some guards around her. They're cr- killed as she's surrounded by chaos. And the still human Ephrix um, comes in and um, tr- tries to persuade her to join him because he seems like he's pretty um, infatuated with her. Right. Um, and so you get the back and forth, back and forth, and yep. she keeps refusing, and eventually, for her troubles, she gets dropped in some molten silver, like you do when you're in the realm of metal. So. Yep. Yeah. Doesn't work out as well for her as it worked out for Thostis. Yeah. So, yeah. Well, and something real quick to to note here. Um, I want one note, and then I want to come back to that. Um, at the bottom of the vault, uh, there is uh, upon the door Sigmar's legend has been carved by the Dwarden. Tiny figures along strips told by Sigmar's life and deeds in the realms. That comes up a little bit later. At mm-hmm. the, or actually, at the very end of the book. But I did feel like this was the point where, all, as I was reading this, I was like. And she reaches to heaven and calls for Sigmar's strength. Oh, you thought she might become? I thought it was a super missed opportunity uh, to to have a a, a woman stormcast. Yeah. I think it was just downright stupid. I'm just gonna say it. <laughs> All right. Um, but she does play a pretty cool role later. Uh, but she dies. Um, she is kept uh, for 50 nights, and she says no to him. 20 of those were like in ex, you know, an exquisite place, and another 20 and in a not so great place and then like 10 in absolute solitude um it uh she was dipped in molten silver um and does say that a bell tolled up in azir and sigmar cried um but he didn't turn her into a stormcast so i'm not i'm not giving up giving him too much <laughs> props for that um so missed opportunity there age of sigmar chapter one vandus is reforged from the fight uh, from Corgus Cole. Um, so this is, uh, we're starting with Vandus in this one, coming back from the, the second story um, in the Azir campaign, um, where he's standing by the, the chaos gate there, mm-hmm. and is and Sigmar gr- snatches him back up, but explodes that gate in the process. So they make a really good point. They make a point here of saying that he was called back, not killed. Right. So he's reforged, but he didn't die. Um, and we actually get a good amount of that uh, information in just a minute. Um, uh, there's a hollow, but there's a hollow space in his mind. Yeah. So I wasn't sure about this. Was it, was it because he's reforged, he still loses something, but because he didn't die, it wasn't as, as big because there's a running theme through this of Vandis looking at Thostis and being like, what's yep. going on with this guy? Yep. What's going on with my brother? And I think this yeah. story is what, I mean, we're taught, this is where, I mean, this story is really here to just tell us about what that loss is, right? So yeah, I think that even if you're called back, you go through the reforging, you lose something. Yeah. Um, and some of it might just be the memory, so the motivation to do what they do. Um, you know, but some of it is our their personhood, you know. Mm. Um, he's joined by Loudus Sky Thunder. Loudus Sky Thunder. One of our favorites. And Andricus Stoneheart, his uh, Castellant, which we didn't meet. We haven't met Vandis's Castellant before. And then uh, they are called the Sigmar. They're strolling through the Sigmarabalum. There's a path of ritual, which was interesting. 
the Stormcast have to travel specific routes. It seems like mm-hmm. they're not supposed to go to okay, the, don't look behind the curtain um, <laughs> kind of thing. Um, and they're had to head, turn their heads at a forbidden vault. Yeah, it's, um, I, it's, that's really interesting to find out what, what's happening in the forbidden vault. It's cool. Yeah. Um, is that... Uh, do we is that do we figure that out later? Or is I that, think so. Okay. My speculation from the next book, which I haven't read all of, yeah, I think that's where the the Celestine Prime might be where the Celestine Prime is yeah. stored. All but right. I don't know that for sure. Speculation until our next episode. Where, <laughs> where what is in the Forbidden Vault? Um, Vandas at this point has a vision. Um, it's of uh, the uh, the Anvric, um stuff. Um, and, but then, uh, Sigmar, um, takes him or him and talks to him and Vandis and they tell him to go to Shaman. So we're, you know, go back to Shaman cause Van- Thostis has found, uh, the hammer in chapter two, we go to Kairos fate reaver, fate weaver. Um, there again, it's, it's Kairos is kind of peeping on, uh, Ephrix. He's rallying, Ephrix is rallying the other Zinch Lords in the lands and trying to, you know, you know, show how powerful he is and how they should do what he needs them to do. Uh, he reveals to them that Galmaraz has been with him all this time and they didn't know that. So there's a definitely a power play, but a little bit of like, hey, whose side are we on? And then um, while he's in audience there, um, we get uh, Shrieglum. Yeah, so if you if you are a Skaven player, Skaven fan, you get to see a little look at Skaven and they kind of are filling the same roles they did in the old worlds, being like the whipping boys of chaos, yep. uh, certainly in the end times. Shriglum <laughs> comes to try and find Fate Weaver so he can he can gain favor and have um, Kairos uh, do something for him. And he's the warlord of five clans, and he's trying to find him, make a deal. I'll, I'll tell you all about the Stormcast. And Kairos is like, you know, kind of tells him what he's going to tell him. Uh, yeah. So are you going to tell me about the Stormcast? He's like, well, yeah. He's like, well, I already know. So... But, um, you know, if you do this thing for me, I'll give it to you and let me guess. This thing you want is just to be uh, put above your master now, right? Yeah, it's yeah. the same only thing that Skaven wants <laughs> yeah. is a sure. little more yeah. R-E-S-P-E-C-T. <laughs> so, but Shriglum is, is uh, and, and so there's a pact and, hey, go give me the, yeah. the head of... Vandis or go no go take the silver ways. Yeah. Turns out, turns game. out if you're a Skaven, you're probably not going to come out on the better end of a bargaining <laughs> session with a keeper or a lord of change. No. So. Um, so they did get come back to Shimon, and this is this is a really cool part. If you can pick up the book and read this part, the rebuilding of the city around the Bright Tor Gate. There's a couple of uh, there's called wizard rites. So I think of like um, shipwrights, yeah. the builders of ships. They're using magic to push stone, like lift stone back up on top of each other. And there's uh, chronosmiths um, that kind of walk around chanting, and they're healing the land. And I don't, I did, you know, you don't get any much more than that. Oh. Any speculation on what a chronosmith does? Mm, back back up time to reverse the damage that's been done. <laughs> well, one interesting thing is there may be there may be refugees from the realm of metal in mm-hmm. Azir, so uh, they may be now returning to their homeland. Uh, it doesn't really talk much about that, but. Yeah, but it does. Yeah, and and um, there's another spot early, later where um, they come into play as well. So Thonis and Vandis arrive through the gate, and this is uh, Mal to your point before. They're coming back. To, they come through the gate, 
And the celestial vindicators that are still in Shaman are gathered around on either side of kind of this road that's coming out of the gate, and they're singing. The celestial vindicators are known for their song. Oh yeah, take the teal and sing, boy. <laughs> yeah. So they're, they're songs yeah. of vengeance. I'm just I'm just trying to remember something. Whether in the at the very end of it's and it's not in these it's not in these books. It's in the I'm sure it's actually the campaign in, the, books? in the the Age of Sigmar, the very first book, because that ends when they find uh, yep. the they find Galmaraz, right? Is that the, the, the last piece of that's, fluff? That's when. That's the Galmaraz campaign book yep. is them finding Galmaraz. But the but the last but w- the last thing when because doesn't oh oh yeah yeah when the when the light obliterates him and he's like yeah oh, yeah yeah, yeah. Uh, I know what that is yep. yeah so that, well, so that's the but dead. the reason I mention it is because they talk because just you jog my mind when you're talking about the Skaven and the doesn't it talk in that book about the about the Skaven like listening in on the conversation. Oh yeah, yeah. Uh, there, there, and then there's like a little rip in rip in the space time continuum, and a little tail goes zipping through. Yeah, yeah. yeah we're, so where, where I'm, I'm, I've got the book open open from me right now. I'm trying to trying to find the uh, trying to find I, the right part. Uh, I don't recall, but yeah, it's a, it's a throwaway line, but it is it is an indicator that the Skaven, you know, for all the talk of like what are the Skaven actually bringing to the table. They're they're getting information from the realm of Zir, which which Zinch is unable to do. Yeah, so. exactly. So they are they are doing a little bit of yeah. Here we go. Yeah, unobserved in the shadows, something moved. A spindly figure cut a slit in reality and slipped through, tail twitching. Yeah, yeah this is a this is a really cool development for uh, the Skaven race. That you know, it's it's something that they you know they didn't do in the in the world that was. Uh, this is new to Age of Sigmar, but it's it's a it's a pretty interesting. Yeah, instead of burrowing through the ground. They just yeah. slit through reality and growing through reality. Yeah, I um, like it. But as my point about the singing and stuff is, Vandis is having a conversation with Ionis about Thostos mm-hmm. and how many of the celestial vindicators that died are have that same kind of deadness in their eyes, and he's seen that in some of his own men as well who have died. And so I, I'm not sure it's as much about the metal, um, but his conversation with Ionis is that when on the way to Azir. Um, a stormcast still has to pass through the realm of death mm. um, or or near it. Mm-hmm. And Sigmar is very much cheating death, but death is the only constant. Mm-hmm. And at the end of time, after all the, you know, everything's eternal, but everything dies. So even after all the uh, dies. Remind me which army you collect again, Eric. <laughs> uh, death. Uh, <laughs> but even after all the other gods die and death is laughed, then death will die. Um, and so nothing is eternal, um, truly like forever. Um, but that when they pass, death takes its peace. Mm-hmm. Like you can't escape that. It's just a thing. Even if you cheat death, you can't keep everything from death. And so as they're going, they're slowly re-dying. I mean, these, these men are already dead. And I I won't tangent us too much here. Yeah. Just a, a quick comment: if this is if this is an aspect that interests you, the this whole what happens with the reforging process. There's a the first story that came out for the advent. The uh, it's called the unending storm. It uh, it actually looks into that a little bit. It has a it has an interesting uh, continued piece on uh, a particular stormcast who gets reforged again and again. Awesome. So um, that'd be an interesting Groundhog Day. Yeah. Oh, yeah. No, I mean, it, 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 that uh, that is kind of a theme in there. I, I won't. Uh, 
I won't spoil it. We'll, we'll uh, talk more about it anymore. But if that's something you want to learn more about, that's a good one to check out. All right, I'll get us back on track. So okay. the, the Vandas and Thostas and the crew are on the road. They get ambushed by beast men who block the road with boulders. Beast men, maybe they're getting thrown. <coughs> and here's where we use the wizard rights. Hey, call some wizard rights over here to help us clear the road. Oh, yeah. So they kind of become IG, um, Imperial Guard of, you know, to, to the Space Marine. Um, oh. To use a 40K reference. So Mal, pe- how do you feel about that? <laughs> Sorry, say that again. The, uh, I said the the empire, the wizard rights, the free people kind of become the the imperial guard to the space marine. Totally, totally. I think it, it's um, well. I, I, there are lots of reasons why that analogy does work, and also probably loads that the the wargaming pedants among us, me included, will get upset. <laughs> but but no, no, no it, it, you know, it works. It works definitely. Yeah, All right. for sure. So they marched through Alexia. Um, and they, they come to the Square of the Living Blades, and Ionis knows the lore here. Um, and it belongs to Solemnus, who we met uh, in the beginning of um, this particular uh, book, so in the prologue. And um, they are there. They're attacked by an army of beasts. So where before we had just a kind of an ambush, this was an army, and they're coming from all sides. Thostis um, ignores a rallying cry of Vandus and just charges into battle and ends up kind of pursuing off in the distance and exposing Vandus's flank. Um, they're surrounded. And then Slemnus's banshee appears, and she makes it worse. Um, she lets out a cry, kills some things, and then blades appear out of nowhere and start attacking everything. And the blades um, slice through um, the the Sigmarite armor. Sigmarite armor, no everybody. problem. Yeah. Um, so then Ionis recognizes her and he appeals to her, um, and you know he hands her from his uh, reliquary, pulls the sword and hands it to her, showing that they're from Sigmar. Um, and we know from the story that she, you know, had a had a thing, you know, liked Sigmar, thought he was noble. And so she, it turns the tide, and she kills all of the Chaos uh, Warriors. Um, and we, we, in her kind of act to kill everything, Ionis has a moment of weakness, and we learned in uh, Azir when he got pulled, you know, when he was kind of got pulled back by Nagash for counsel. Here he, he kind of makes, he says he longs to return to his old master. He says mm-hmm. at some point he's of two masters. Um, to return to Nagash to join, rejoin his beloved. And one thing I actually forgot to, to mention from the last episode, they're talking about Gardas, and they mention how loyal he is to Sigmar, but only second to Ionis. Mm. Um, and so there's this, it seems like there's this knowledge that Ionis is the most loyal to Sigmar. We've been questioning whether or not he would be because he's also yeah. uh, subject, subjugated to Nagash. So what, what kind of... Um, Interesting. I think you just want to know more about this deal. Like, what was it that is calling Ionis away from his beloved to betray Nagash to to be loyal to Sigmar? It's just very interesting story. Um, Vandus orders formation to reform, and they attack the castle or the fortress. Um, the such of indicators are just off going. Vandus has another vision as he's like, you know, and it's a vision of them climbing a silver waterfall. And just as he wakes from it, Merrick on his manticore from Manticoria <laughs> spears Vandus <laughs> and flies into the air. Um, there's some, some jibber-jabber about how uh, puny Vandus is compared to this chaos. Um, 
Lord, and then uh, Vandis jumps off a, or sorry, Thossus jumps from some tower somewhere. Yeah, onto got the up beast there real quick. <laughs> <laughs> and just explodes both the, the Lord, so there's the end of Merrick, and then he just stabs the, the manticore in the back of the skull, and they all plummet to the ground, and both Thossus and Vandis survive um, and dislodge that uh, spear in, in Vandis' shoulder, and then they go after the fortress again. Um, Tis but, but, a, but a flesh wound. Be yeah. But as they're charging to the fortress, what happens? It uh, wrenches up and disappears on him. What yeah. the what the fortress? Um, <laughs> so it disappears. They don't have any more. They don't know what to do. Uh, what do what's their next goal? Vandus doesn't think back to his... Because he's wondering whether or not his visions are good or bad, so he's not necessarily giving them a ton of weight. Um, but then Solemnus returns. Ionis um, brings Ionis' sword back. Um, but it's reforged, so it's a it's a solemnus blade. And then Ionis um, asks her to help them, and they march for eight days um, to the through the Bright Tor Mountains, and they come uh, to a place where they can view the Crucible and the Argent Falls. It's a really cool description of the the silver coming down in the silky sheet and then globuling onto like other places and. <laughs> I made it sound dirty, but it uh, was actually pretty cool. Uh, and then there's a path that follows down into a little town, and there's a dragon fate dais made completely of silver. Mm. Um, and the Hammerhands and the Blade Storms approach. Um, and as they approach the dais, dun dun dun, tear in reality, Skaven pour through, and we've got the Storm Fiends, the Storm Friends. Yeah, they, I think I, I've just been thinking about what you said, Davy, about. It being a development of the Skaven's uh, backstory that they can they can cut through reality and trap in, in much you know if you and it makes sense because actually if you there's there there is no single underneath of the planet like there was on the old world or in the old world that allowed them to get places through their through their other underground tunnels so I guess being able to make their own way through the you know through the well, the warp or the realm of chaos to do this makes perfect sense i mean if they if they right. if they want to, if they want to keep that idea of them being able to pop up wherever they like and cause trouble um that's the perfect way to do it yeah cool very yeah. cool so they they come in with all that skaven and this is they're highlighting the aspect of the skaven that probably fits well with the realm of metal this sort of steampunk side of their technology and so the uh the storm fiends in particular on un- yeah. unleashing their WMDs on uh, on the Stormcast Eternals here, and there's the big thing where Thostis walks into a storm of warp flame, and everyone's like, "Oh no, he's yeah. going down!" And, and he's able to survive it because he turns and yeah. kind of reshapes into becomes the the Sigmarite uh, man T1000 style. And then uh, have you seen this boy? They beat the Skaven, of course. Um, and they come to the, the dais and they don't know what to do. They need to call, but they kind of realize they need to call upon uh, the, the great Drakoth, uh, Drakothian. Oh, but some, ha- doesn't something happen right before that, something important? Uh, I don't know if it's important or not, you, if you remember what it was. Yeah, yeah. So, so the, they're, they're basically right at the end of the battle. They're like, yes, we can, we've done it. We, we've, we've smashed up the Skaven. And then Andricus Stoneheart, the Lord, the Lord Castle, is oh. like, yes. Oh, yeah. And he sticks his, you know, he raises his sword and says, yes, we're all right. And then it's literally the last gunshot that one of the Storm Fiends fires. Um, yeah. Hits him in the, hits him in the heart. Just a headshot. Head, yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. He does, and then, so and then kills him and goes, yeah. yeah. A final, so, uh, yeah. 
my note was that the last thing that happened is that there's a strange stench in the air and then everybody flees. Yeah, this if anyone's read the uh <laughs> if anyone's read the uh, Slayer series, uh Bill King started them. So that was uh Go Trek and Felix from the yeah. oh, man, the phrase this Skaven squirted the musk of fear. That must have been in there about a, a million billion times. So <laughs> glad to see that still hanging out. <laughs> so there's just uh, fear farts yeah. uh, prior to Skaven leaving. You know yeah. that they're retreating when you smell this. <laughs> yeah. Um, and so, so yeah, and then, yeah, his um, Liberator Prime um, gets dusted um, by the that maybe a Giselle, you know, sniper or something like that. I couldn't tell if it was anything else. They don't tell you what it is do was they? it or was it a castellan whatever well wasn't as who got smoked i think uh andricus stoneheart that was the lord Ooh. castellan wasn't it bang bang yeah okay so his castellan gets uh juiced um so uh then the um kalanax um vandis's uh Dracoth, climbs up on the dais says hey we gotta t- we gotta talk to my dad, um, and so he roars into the sky, and all the other Drakoths that are around there roar into the sky for about an hour, and then um, Drakothian appears, smiling in the sky. A oh, wild wow, Drakothian appears. What's that? No, thank God. <laughs> and then uh, uh, what he talks about is so he makes reference to Argentine, who was one of his favorite sons, but was corrupted by um, chaos. And, you know, swollen with pride. Um, and, you know, so he's, Argentine is who is uh, he's liquefying the, the great lake. crucible. There's a reason that yep. it's running like like water. Yep. And so in order to get up there, because uh, Dracothian saw that the fortress was put up into the, um, the crucible, he says, you have to, I'll go and distract uh, Argentine. And he says, I'm going to go, he needs a good rebuking. And then the next is he goes and he grabs onto his neck. So he just gives him <laughs> a nice neck bite. Um, and uh, so, sorry. Whoa. So then as the, you know, he goes and starts attacking Argentine. Yeah. And then uh, Solemnus appears and has thousands of her blades or, you know, hundreds of thousands of her blades stab into the waterfall to create handholds. Which is now solidifying because Argentine's been yep. chased off, yep. right? Yep. So, so Argentine, yeah, yeah, sorry, distracted. Argentine's distracted. He's no longer flaming the crucible. Yep. The the silver is solidifying into globules, and uh, then she stabs her swords into them to, to create handholds. Um, so for four days they climb, and uh, not many die in that, um, but... Only a thousand go with. So where they had many thousands more, most yeah. of them stayed behind. Well, they're taking casualties though. Like some, <laughs> like apparently when you're using a ladder made out of swords, it has these guys who are apparently cutting their own hands off, like yep. squeezing the swords too tight. It's like, yep. buddy, just grab them by the handle. What are you doing? So, <laughs> yeah, uh, or just yeah, or yeah, turn them turn them sideways. Yeah. <laughs> um, and so yeah, so they're climbing for about four days. Um, they get up to the top. And there's uh, the, you know, what we see is the tower has been positioned underneath uh, the crystal, um, sorry, the shard gate. And it's on an island and and Thrond is who we're kind of introduced to in this chapter. Thrond is another chaos lord, greater than Merrick. All about the chariots. Um, (laughs) From charioteer, charioteer, I don't know. Um, (laughs) and so his fortress is made up of a number of towers joined by, um, walkways above that connect these islands above the, the silver lake. 
Um, and so they, but they, so they, um, Dracothian gets rebuked is the mm-hmm. one who gets chased off. Argentine goes back to flaming the crucible and the lake starts to soften. Yeah. They haven't gotten everybody up yet. Yeah. So they're rushing to get everybody up. Yeah. This is a cool like beachhead beach landing only with the fantastical thing of they're climbing up a metal waterfall and now they got to, they got to get off the, get off the beach. They got to get up to where it's safe. And as this battle progresses, the, the surface gets tarry and people start falling through or getting bogged down. They have to get yanked out and helped. Like it's, it's a, it's pretty fun. I, I enjoyed this one. It was, it was a cool, cool battle scene with the, with that. Yeah. By the time they get up onto the battlements, they fought through a bunch of storm cast, um, the van, about 500 remain. And just as they're, um, kind of, just as they're all getting up there onto the, the stairway and up onto the walkways, Ionis is, um, axed. Um, and so he disappears and that's a big, um, not cool. Not cool. Yeah. <laughs> Rude. Um, chaos knights and chariots attack, uh, Thrawn's army. So on these walkways, so they're big walkways. They're yeah. not like top tiny little, like one man things. They're, yeah. they're pretty big. Well, and you're just coming barreling them down with these chariots and cavalry charges, nowhere to get out of the way. Yeah. So, yep. So big enough for them, but not big enough to move out of the way for sure. Yeah. Uh, but and Vandus is in kind of a calm point where he's not directly in combat and he's wondering what to do, and so he he tries to embrace on Ionis's recommendation. You know, just see what these visions lead to, and if they're false, then ignore them. But so he tries to summon a vision, and he does so, and he he gets the answer he's looking for. So something that's kind of cool about um, Shaman is that there is this alchemist moon. Mm-hmm. And it has different stages, uh, waxes and wanes. And so um, when the, the moon is getting to its apex, it um, causes Argentine to turn away and, again, stop flaming the silver, and the silver will solidify. So this is something that is in um, that Vandis comes to know about this place, and I think um, well, it mentions it to us. I can't remember if it's in Efrix's voice or not. So the Stormcast take hammers to the foundation of Thrawn's island. So they're just <laughs> beating their hammers on an island um, and at the base of the fortress and kind of start cracking it just as the moon is getting to an apex and the giant fortress comes sliding down into the water and the apex uh, Argentine is turned away. The water crashes up into waves and then, f- then hardens. Yeah, this is pretty cool. Very, very effective timing on this. <laughs> and that's the whole question was, are we going to have time to do this? Will we have perfect timing? It has to be just right. Um, the, but then the shard gate, uh, sorry, the, yeah, the shard gate, shard gate. Um, spills out tons of um, demons. demons. So we've got uh, pink whores and blue whores or whatever. And uh, the Stormcast are charging up into the fortress as these are coming out. Um the, there's an interesting part where Kairos refers to the Lord Relictors as rain callers and nursemaids. thought that was a, was a fun jab. Um, and then Kairos and Efrix um, have this argument about whether or not, I guess, Efrix has done the right things and has the right time or do they have no more time. And they argue over performing this. Um, finally, kind of, they, they realize they can't pull all of Shaman mm-hmm. into the gate. And, uh, but can they just get the hammer up there? Yeah. Just and get the fortress in. In order to do so though, the fortress has to, has to move or has to get freed. And so he says, you know, Hey, 
Efrix, you can perform this um, lunar, uh, what's it called? Lunar reversal. Lunar reversal. And Efrix is like, uh, that's like a super dangerous spell. Yeah. <laughs> Pretty sure that's going to kill me. <laughs> and this is actually a throwback because early on, he Efrix is telling one of his disciples, hey, yeah, I need to go right. look at the very start. He's like, Yeah, go, exactly. Go, go, go do it, little minion. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. And so Efrix argues until Kairos charms him. Um, and there was, um, I skip over a little part, um, and just because it kind of comes abruptly, Corgus Cole. Um, joins in the fray, Thrawn, yeah. and he both go after the Stormcast while, and then he and uh, Kairos are talking. I did not think Corgi's Cole needed to pop up here. I, yeah, yeah. Uh, I mean, in the end, he he ends up helping more yeah. than he's hurting. Yeah. Um, but uh, so, um, Efrix and Kairos, uh, Kairos charms Efrix. They march down to where the hammer is. I. Uh, the, they are joined. There's a, the hammer is under a dome of stone. And eight lords of change join Kairos so that there are now nine yeah. um, uh, greater demons sitting here and circling. And so, like, just like Balthrax yeah, had his seven, seven uh, greater unclean ones. Now, uh, a whole lot of greater demons getting thrown around. Somebody yep. needs to make these armies. <laughs> <laughs> So they encircle the stone, and their names are spoken, and their names spoken out loud can destroy the minds of men, and Efrix had to hear every one of them in succession, <laughs> which is kind of cool. Um, Kairos uh, brings to the table an Arcanabulum machine of some sort. They don't describe exactly what it is. It's a uh, uh, MacGuffin kind of thing. And Efrix performs a lunar reversal without, you know, it's not under his own control, and it just starts aging him. It Melts starts, him down, yeah. Um, and Kairos laughs as the fortress is freed from the Silver Sea. Vanda sees the, uh, in chapter eight, this is the last chapter, and it's they, there's a lot in here, so I need to go through it a little bit quick and jump over a few things. But there's, um, Vandis is going, you know, to try and get into the fortress, comes up against Corgus. Corgus makes a big speech, and then um, the they face off Stormcast versus Bloodbound. Um, but none of the Bloodbound can touch Vandis because Corgus has, has marked him. Yeah. And so Vandis finds himself having kind of free reign. I can go wherever and they just kind of move out of my way. Yeah. And then, um, Corgus goes to swipe at him and Thrawn or Thrawn goes to swipe it at Vandis and, and Corgus stops him. And now the Zinchian, uh, warriors and the Bloodbound are fighting each other. Yeah. Way to go, Corgus. Yeah. <laughs> Big help, Corgus. Thank you, sir. So. Um, but Vandis and Thassus continue into the chamber um, and they f um, get past a few things. The <laughs> the blood secretor mm -hmm. that we thought might have died in his ear um, yeah. underneath that the fortress coming down because Ionis crushed it. Nope. He's, he's got his own chariot now. Yeah. <laughs> he's right around a chariot going, spitting all of his profanities about the blood for the blood god and how they're puny little mortals and he's going to tear them he from shirt to shirt. He's just got the worst foul mouth. Um, and so, uh, you know, they get past him. Ionis, so this is where Ionis comes in. He's he's resent. Um, Sigmar resends him down, and it's like, holy crap, yeah, you just turn. died. Yeah, yeah. And he's like, well, you know, death has no hold on me. I've already been there, done that. I have yeah. the map uh, and the T-shirt. <laughs> uh, so uh, I get, the, get get through it pretty quick. And so he comes and takes out the Bloods Crater, leaving Vandis and Thostas to get into the um, chamber. They go in. Uh, they find um, Efrix aged and just muttering um, and the they're caged in and the, the demons are greater demons are in there. They smash through that um, the gates that are holding them out and they get in and it's just a, a 
battle against nine greater demons. What more could you want? <coughs> but we see Galraz is chained by blood iron and bonds of pure magic and is floating. And I thought this was smart, smart on the cast side. Instead of bringing the hammer up to the shard gate, they're bringing the shard gate yeah, down shard to the gate hammer. Starts coming down. So the shard gate, you know, I imagine it kind of tipped over. So it's facing down, just looking to kind of come over and uh, absorb or consume the, the hammer. Um, and Thostis and Vandis start crushing the chains that are holding it. Um, uh, Thostis gets blasted by the, the staff of Kairos, and it's a little bit more than what what all the other kind of blasts have been, and it does seem to take an effect on his um, f- his Sigmarite form. Um and uh, you know, there's a point which um, so the the reve- the vengeance of the the stormblades is that they it kind of keeps them from hearing the chanting and getting um, tackled by the illusions of Zinch. Mm. Vandis suffers it for a little bit, but then he kind of goes into his mind's eye, pictures the room, allows him to see past it, and then breaks it. Um, and so they're able to you know crush some things, um, and then. Uh, there's this, uh, I guess that, you know, then the Kairos is at Vandis and um, Kalanax, um, or Kalthrax, Kalanax, blasts, blasts him and then Ionis blasts him and he's a little stunned and dazed. Um, Ephrix, his, the hold on Ephrix he's goes away. not dead yet. Um, and he picks up Kairos's um, staff and taps <laughs> scratches um, Kairos and ends up like just causing him to kind of shrivel away. Yeah. yeah he he kind of can't keep one form at a time. So he cycles through all these different shapes and forms and he's, he's not in control. And then there's this uh, uh, matrix bullet time um, event where Vandis leaps for the hammer. So slowly and time stands still. He grabs the hammer <laughs> um, and uh, and comes to the ground, and this is kind of cool. It's not it's not Vandis wielding the hammer. The hammer is wielding Vandis, <laughs> <laughs> and the hammer just of a mind of its own swings swings itself using Vandis's arm to just turn Kairos into Jello. Um, it's pretty pretty gross, um, and uh, then it electrifies the air, sends out sparks or lightning everywhere, sucks, kills everything or sucks it, causes it to go back into the shard gate and the shard gate vanishes. And then they stand above a mosaic to the glory of Sigmar. Yeah. In typical chaos fashion, there's laughter coming out of the yeah. shard gate. It's just, yeah. it's just like the end of um, Flash Gordon when Ming, yeah, you, like exactly. you have Ming's, <laughs> Ming's laughter. Man, that right was so depressing end. as a kid. Yeah. Uh, so the <laughs> the Stormcast returned to Sigmarabolus, and Galmaraz is reunited with its master. Yeah. The Hero Phase. In the Hero Phase, we turn our attention to those of you who want to get into Age of Sigmar or share this game with your friends. So in preparation for this episode, um, uh, an awesome model came out, an awesome regardless of whether you like it or don't like it. I think awesome is still an appropriate word for Archaeon, the ever chosen. Um, and it made me think about, well, what does that model do for the game? Yeah. What does it bring? Yeah. I mean, it's, it's costs a lot, right? I think uh, US it's 160. 
Um, is that 80 or is that what is that in the UK there? Uh, okay, real money. I'm, let me find the let me find the website. I'll do. It. You guys keep talking, and I'll picture. I'll I'll, I'll pull yeah. the website real quick. Yeah. So. I mean, it's, a, it's an expensive model. It's not going to find its way on the battlefield very often because you need really big games. You need big armies to play it. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm sh- you know, you can create Ooh, a scenario. Yeah. It's, it's 100 pounds. Yeah. So, um, you know, a good, good amount. So what's role, what role does it play in the game? And I think for me, what it, obviously in any army, that's going to be the centerpiece right. of an army. So if you're already playing the game and enjoying it. But it's also a huge... Um, banner for anybody who's not a part of the game to say, wow, who makes that model? Yep. Where does that model come from? Oh, it's part of Age of Sigmar. It's part of that line. I would really like to get into that game, any kind of realm or game where that kind of model exists. So we're making the point here is it's worth considering if you don't already have one, get yourself a centerpiece model for your your force. And then when you're playing in the store, that, that can draw that attention bring people in. So it might be Glotkin for your Nurgle force. Mm-hmm. Skaven, it could be, I mean, the Screaming Bell historically acted as that. Now they've got the um, the Vermin Lords who do that. Yep. Um, I, I, for the longest time, played Dwarves. They didn't really have much of a centerpiece. Closest I came was I had this, you know, gyrocopter conversion. Uh, and now I'm, you know, working on this force. Like I talked about the Saigor. I've yeah. finally got, this is by far the biggest model. Which I'm, is great I'm to see on, on the table. <laughs> Lots yeah. of fun. Yeah. Well, that's fun. And... <laughs> Like Eric has talked in the past, we will uh, we'll just stand the gash in the corner of the board because he's cool. Like yeah. even even us who have been playing the game, like we think he's cool. So like let's let's let him sit out there. So now some of the hesitancy, obviously, cost is a thing. Um, being able to paint it um, to a level um, that you'd like um, is another thing. Um, and then you know an option there. And I did a little bit of looking if if you did want to have somebody else paint it for you, so that you could you know show it off to your friends and that sort of thing. Um, the cost of painting a model from a professional is range is a huge range, like any other industry or whatever, can be anywhere from one times the model's cost, um, but four to five times the cost for really high level, you know, amazing painting. And so you're certainly, you know, the models for some of us already cost a lot. So why would you pay somebody also pay a painter? And I think if there's a value besides, hey, I got a cool model on the table. Is I think these are really good conversation starters mm-hmm. for our friends, for people who are you know kind of looking <laughs> or, at the game, or or conversation killers like listen, <laughs> like what the hell is that? And then, yeah. and then yeah, okay, no, no, I'm with you, I'm with you. Oh, like Erica was talking about before we started uh, being in the guest room, you know, throw that in there. <laughs> yeah, you can put it on your mantle. Um, you can stick it on the kitchen table when you're serving. Um, meals to your friends yeah just having a gash holding the napkins or something <laughs> so and then and then uh, and then then you can look at it and it can remind you of a time when you had friends to serve meals to <laughs> before you show it to them yeah yeah i mean it's so, an interesting one so for me i mean i get we you know we talked about it before on the show i get a lot of fun out of the the hobbying aspect of this and i know you guys do too because i've seen the stuff that you post up on twitter so i i think i personally would never consider having something uh, commission painted for me mm-hmm. for, for a number of yeah, reasons it, you know i mean this but this is you know this is not to say that there aren't good reasons for it but it's just to sort of to to offset the the 
the ease and the, the convenience of it. Just bear in mind that you've got to if if you if you do have this done, you've got to have it. You've got to play with it in your army. So you, you're ultimately you're going to want it to match. Now that either means that you need to bring your painting up to the standard of the commission painter, or you need to use a very similar palette and set of set of techniques, which you know which some people can do, some people can't. Some people might find that really challenging. Um, and and also the fact that you know you've. For, for me, yes, the model costs a hundred pounds in this instance, but actually, you know, the for the 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 plastic there is the physical part of the model is not really worth that much. What you're what you're buying, what you're investing in there is you're committing to painting it and making it an awesome piece of art the, yourself. So that's really you're 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 buying a hundred, you're buying like ninety five bucks of your own time is the way I see it. But again, maybe I'm just being a bit too zen about it. No, I think I think I mean. Everyone's going to get a different thing about it, or whether whether it's what it brings to the table if they're on the gaming side or if it's just. I mean, I've seen a lot of people on Twitter excited about like, hey, look, I you know I just picked up this model, and the, everyone's been saying, wow, it's crazy expensive, but people are obviously excited about doing that, and that excitement, uh, that excitement can be picked up by people who are checking out the game. So someone new, and then uh, I guess the other aspect is, is is we talk about you know attracting new players but also if you have if you have a army that you're going to have a new player play with you know uh hey i've got a starter army have one of those cool models have one of those cool centerpiece models that's fun to push around it's fun to push around the big stompy monster uh, if you are looking for advice um on how to paint your large centerpiece model particularly if you've picked up Archeon, uh, the Marshal of the End Times, then get yourself onto Warhammer TV, the channel on YouTube. Uh, so Duncan Rhodes, um, and now he has a, a lovely uh, young lady as a psychic, uh, have like a 90 minute video on exactly how to paint that bad boy up. Um, and you can always yeah. pick up the, uh, the the painting guide too. Those are great. I think I think they definitely deserve like a, a full sort of in-depth um, look in from us on a, on a later episode. We'll try and pick out some favorites and, and relay that. But yeah, great, great point. That's awesome. Yeah, I yeah, and I think you know for us, yeah, we're all painters, and the, somebody who I was only a, I think a year into the hobby when I if, if that when I picked up Nagash and painted him, and it was daunting. It mm. was doing different pieces, and so I don't want that to be something that stops somebody from saying, "Hey, I yeah. I can't get this model because I can't paint it that yeah. well." Um, you know, there are other options, and and if it's about getting more people in the game, that can you know it's again, what's the value? Somebody's value may be if I get this model and get it painted well. Perhaps I can, you know, uh, lure more people into uh, the hobby, <laughs> etc. Yeah. Um, so that's yeah. I mean, everybody's going to come at a different point. And so hopefully, um, picking up a centerpiece model, regardless of whether you're uh, big into the hobby, big into the game, um, whatever your enjoyment enjoyment in the in this game is, mm -hmm. that that centerpiece can be something you can use for you to have fun, but also mm -hmm. to attract more people into playing what we're playing. I also want to give a quick shout out to some of the um, miniature painters on Twitter that I reached out to help me kind of get a sense of, of cost. Uh, the first being uh, Models Workshop After Hours Podcast at MWAH Podcast at VIDPUI VIDPUI and then at Painted by G, capital G there. Um, and also uh, at Scrubby and Wells. So, um, yeah, thank you guys for helping me in uh, some research for this episode. The Hobby Phase. In the Hobby Phase, we want to stoke the flame of creativity for hobbyists and find shortcuts and easy entry points for new gamers. So from this one, we're going to do a little bit of brainstorming here. 
we've talked in in the past couple episodes that as as we visit each realm realm of fire realm of life uh talk about some of the terrain you might build for that and those ones they're much more intuitive you know they're they're settings or fantasy backgrounds that we've uh are a little more common to us or at least you know jungles and forests or blasted fire magma hell realms or whatever but or giant uh, giant pus filled zits yeah, yeah, actually, yes. Thank you Total for that. realism. Yeah. And nice yeah. job, by the way, Mel. <laughs> you uh, like that? Awesome. Yeah, I, it was uh, it was pretty gnarly. They, we got some good reactions on Twitter from that. People were people were uh, entertained and grossed out. So, have you gotten to play with that yet? Or uh, no, I haven't had the chance to play with that. Hopefully, I might get uh, maybe this. Yeah. One. Put that one on the table for a centerpiece. So there you go. Yeah. Uh, it's uh, already on my mantelpiece, actually. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, uh, talking about today, realm of metal. This this takes a little more thinking. Like this, this is not something that you see all the time. So we were we were doing a little brainstorm. Eric had some idea of he's looking at some of the kits that exist for. Uh, yeah, so I'm, I mean, I'm always thinking about um, how to repurpose other things um, and look at other lines and stuff. And sometimes you look at other companies' fantasy lines for things. But what about? Um, 40k, right? It's a game that's right next to Age of Sigmar, and they put out some immense kits for this mm-hmm. that already exists. And this exists in the future, right? Technology and all that sort of thing. But I feel like, to some extent, uh, the the realm of metal, being able to smith metal in some unique ways that that their system of creating has evolved to incorporate so much metal, um, and even having the magic to shape it and mold it. Um, some of the 40k kits for the imperial um, kind of ruins and stuff like that. The latest kit that came out has these giant eagle walls um, that you know are just really immense and like epic. And I think Age of Sigmar is about epic. And so I could totally ta- see having some civilization in Shaman that had built up these really cool gothic um, metal um, and uh, buildings that had been you know, torn down and, and cast aside. Um, I, I have looked at and talked to some people that there is some like technology and wiring and button type things or, Mm -hmm. you know, displays or whatever that you could take off. Mm -hmm. Um, but that was one thing is, could you use those to, in the realm of, of metal, um, use the 40 K stuff. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I think Elixir for me actually sounds pretty similar to you to, to the, exactly what you're talking about, you know, where the, where the, where the the blade storms meet, um, Salinas, it could, it could look very much like that. So yeah, good call. Good call. And for me, I was doing a little brainstorm about once you get outside of that and, uh, you, if you want to like the natural world, yeah, the the naturally unnatural world of uh, the realm of metal, and we'll be talking about this book at a later date. But in Hammers of Sigmar, the second part of that that is set in the realm of metal, and they do a lot more talking. They, that's a good one if you want some ideas for terrain. Uh, they talk about you know these metallic trees and creatures, and you get a you get a lot more look at that. So that's that's a good look in if you if you want some more. But you know, I was thinking you could you could do. Uh, you can do an area that's rusted over, you know, like where where the natural world is decaying. If there's if there's so much metal, you could have, you know, the rust plains or um, decaying cliffs that are uh, corroding off or, or different things like that. Like that, instead of just having everything being like the glittering metal, you you would have the weathering and all that sort of thing that would come into play uh, with these. So 
um, that was just one aspect I was thinking of. Yeah, I think, um, you know, looking at the Oeger stuff, you know, something shiny and flat, mm-hmm. you know, would be interesting. Um, uh, and I, I think I saw somebody creating um, uh, their army in the realm of metal, and so they were, had big, like, iron ore or, like, metallic ore rocks. Sure. So they were able to use metallic paint on the scenery yep. bases and that sort of yep. stuff, which is different, you know. Yeah. Organic shapes that yep. are painted with metal. Yeah. Um, uh, or... Even metallic, you know, figures. Mm-hmm. Could you be? Um, could your army be made of metallic statues? Mm-hmm. You know that. You know that uh, bronze um, forces. From this book, they talked about these statues that had been shaped twisted and, and by twisted. Zetra, yeah. So could you take, you know, kit bash some some empire characters with some pig heads or some <laughs> boar heads or you know whatever. Kit bash some stuff. Right. Put it on pedestals and you know bronze them. Yeah. You know, and make them into these interesting, just frozen uh, metallic. You know, mm-hmm. graveyards. I think uh, another talking about repurposing kits. I know I've seen some things for uh, War Machine and Hordes. I don't know that they do a lot of official terrain, but I've I've seen some pieces. They're very uh, steampunky and cog oriented, and I can see that fitting in with the idea. Even if it wasn't a you know Duarden city, you'd have these human societies that are they're doing that. So you could have you could have big sort of uh, steam power things and cogs playing in and all that sort of thing like that. That uh, that's another way if you. Don't want to go the full 40k route. You can use some of those steampunk resources that may exist out there. So even taking like um, your fantasy village kits, yep. you know that, um, or or towers, and adding some clockwork bits to them. Yeah, um, play I know that. Up. A lot of hobby stores will have that sort of stuff in spades for um, different kind of decoration or whatever. And so, you know, adding that element to it to say, hey, this isn't just a tower; it's a clockwork tower, or you know, yeah. No, I, it, just adding a little bit of something to say this is in metal. Help you identify it, sure. Yeah, yeah. You got any more thoughts on that, Mel? Uh, I was thinking, yeah, just about how to how, how you would make the the sort of the just the game board, and if you wanted to do something really simple, then I think that you could you could you guys probably laugh, but if you have like baking foil or tin foil, and if you just yeah. like if you just put that, if you just yeah, if you like put that over your six foot by four foot gaming table, and then got a like, like you know you, t- you know, tinfoil can actually is kind of expensive but if you got just like a load of, but it, the cool thing about it is you can l- make hills out of it really easily mm-hmm. and like crush it down so it have a, it'll have a flat mm-hmm. base and you know, plenty of terrain so there's you know enough stuff to block line of sight and you know for you know you're probably not going to want to use it you know again and again and again but you know that's one of the cool things about these um these campaign books is that you you play through the two or three missions that are in the the realm of metal and you move on to whatever's happening next. You know, so sure. you know, for the for the price of for the price of three or four rolls of tinfoil, you could actually kind of easily make just a ver- like a sort of shiny silvery um, board with some big chunks of metallic something or other that you know, just to 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 make it a little bit more thematic. Yeah, if you didn't want to go whole hog, you could probably make an effective, you know, quick and easy river with the, you know, get, get yourself a ribbon format of that, you know, form that uh, foil into that shape. So, you know, since it's the Christmas season, uh, there's a lot of tinsel around. Oh, yeah. So what if you just instead of flock, you tinseled, uh, tinseled your land masses and uh, your bases sure. uh, with some shredded metal do you know what that's 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 actually i know you're i know you're only like you're half joking but that's that's a really really good idea like if the yeah. if you because if you if you um so like a metallic glass grass yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Or, if, if, or if you kind of if you tied the tied the the tinsel into into sort of bigger knots 
Um, mm. and, yeah, then just, and then just yeah. and then just like drop them down as like big kind of you know, almost like bushes cri- and cri- yeah crystalline shards yeah. and bushes exactly that yeah. yeah tis the season and uh, holiday sales are going on now yeah exactly you can probably get that get that cheaper than ever right now so tin, tin, tinsel is banned on our Christmas tree but I'm going to go and get some tomorrow just for <laughs> making it cool. there we go <laughs> we dream it and Mal makes it the campaign phase in the campaign phase we explore how the plastic hits the table rules scenarios new tactics and narrative campaign so mal have you played any of the scenarios from the realm of metal and that would be we, we uh cover them so, so we're we talking about the, the time of war first of all or, or sure yeah scenarios? how about that have you have you used the time of war uh not for uh, the realm of metal like i see we talked about it very briefly off air and and then to start yeah. with it i feel like my i was i was on campaign with the yes. hallowed nice and uh with with Gardas and those guys so yeah um, this was this was happening elsewhere so i didn't get a chance to uh, to play these <laughs> these games all right well there is a Two time of wars that kind of apply here. There's also mentioned the Storm of Sigmar, although that kind of applies across most of these realms, especially for the early stages of the Realm Gate Wars, which are kind of chaos specific and Sigmar uh, right um, celestial but, stormcast uh, specific rules. Galmaraz, page forty three. You got Hanging Valleys of Anbrock, and then on page one eighty of the Great Crucible. Now the Great Crucible is basically the Hanging Valleys of Anbrock <laughs> with some add-ons. Hanging, Hanging Valleys of Anbrock. Has the usual stuff, a small tweak for priests that can uh, kind of reverse your armor save. Doesn't come into play a whole lot, but it can be, it's a cool little... I mean, again, tweak. it's the getting getting your um, wizard in range to mm-hmm. either cast that on, you know, stuff. Oh, yeah, well, then there's the, the spell itself, um, which is a pretty cool spell. It can act as a debuff. Um, but, yeah, again, you got to be close enough to cast that at the enemy. And the Alchemist Moon, which has these minor effects on the battlefield. Uh, and it's nice because it, uh, Eric and I actually played a game with this, and it has this. You can look at the chart and see what's coming up in the next turn, next turn. And if yeah, so it's you roll to see where you start yeah. in the rotation, yeah. oh, and very then you cool. rotate through, and so it, it's predictive. Yeah, um, and it's interesting because yeah, it gave us plus one to hit in one phase, and then plus one to wound in the next phase. Yeah, um, taking away the plus one to hit, and then it was plus one to cast, um, and. By that time, all of my wizards were dead. <laughs> yeah. So, um, I, I pretended it was on purpose that I was looking like, "Uh oh, I, I better smoke these wizards before they start getting their plus one to cast and double mortal wounds." But and, really, his gorgon was just hungry. Yeah, my gorgon was amazing. Um, yeah, and so then the great crucible takes all that and adds uh, some extra zinch demons coming pouring in, and uh, some rules for using infinite force uh, where. If you double on your casting roll, it succeeds, but also you get some backlash. It's kind of a kind of a little uh, throwback to uh, to prior editions where that was that was a yeah, common thing. Perils. And it, it's a, it's a, yeah, perils. It's it's, I'm looking at it right now. It's basically a perils table, isn't it? So yeah, and what's neat, like we've talked about before with all these. So I do like the Hanging Valleys of Anbrock rules. Like they're they're characterful without without overwhelming your game. You know, uh, changing it entirely. Uh, and you can always plug and play any parts of these that you want. So if you want to, uh, if you want to be able to uh, change how magic works, if you want to have, you can plug that in. You don't have to be in the Great Crucible if you want to use it. So we liked it. It was a good, good little, uh, good little game of it. Um, as far as the scenarios, Eric and I have not 
had a chance to play these, although we can we can uh, touch on a couple things with them. There's uh, all of these relate back to the game. There's sudden assault when the uh, when the stormcasts get ambushed uh, while they're trying to defend the gate. There's storm the walls where their first attempts to uh, go take the Eldritch the Fortress. Fortress. Eldritch Fortress. Um, those are the ones that come in book one. In uh, book two is the Cursed City, where we we run through Elixia, and it's got some mechanics for those ghosts and the Sword Maiden Slowness. trying to get her on your side. Uh, Eric, so this this one, if you look at the setup on this, it talks about uh, being real heavy on using buildings, and we talked a little about your table, Mal, where you had really heavy jungle. Well, one thing we've been doing, Eric and I, we've played some games that are super super saturated with with buildings and terrain. And that's been that's been pretty fun. Yeah, it really changes the dynamic of the space when you don't have certainly any piece of terrain, uh, especially impassable terrain, mm-hmm. changes how your armies flow across the board. Mm-hmm. Um, but when you get into t- the tighter little alleyways of space, um, can allow a wizard to stand up against knights if you get the right positioning, right? Um, yeah, yeah. For us, we got to see you know when you're in these real confined spaces like this. Uh, Eric, who has these kind of undead hordes and some heavy hitters, uh, he'd fill those in, and he couldn't bring his numbers to bear. But it was also hard for me to, you know, wipe out these because I couldn't. I could only get a couple guys in, so he could really, he could really bog down units. Me, I've got the fast units with with my slanish cab army, so I'm trying to, you know, zip around and isolate, you know, trying to make sure his heavy hitters have to go too far through too much uh, winding alleys and terrain. So. Even if you don't uh, play this particular scenario, I would recommend giving that a shot. Like that, that was that turned out pretty cool. Um, you've got Death at the Dais, where the it's uh, Skaven teleporting in. Yeah, exactly. Um, so it's got some some action for that, and then uh, how to use the Dragon Fate Dais. You've got uh, Battle Against Time, and this is this is one uh, I know. Heel and Hammer talked about this. They like this one pretty well. This is where you're on the top of the Crucible, and the ground is melting and guys right. are dying the longer they that's that's kind of a, a fun one and it's not it's not uh objective i mean it's not uh, kill based you you're trying to get across the board and that's one of the areas that i think where where the game gets uh can get pretty fun and then finally there's a cast adrift where it's uh simulating that whole city the uh the whole eldritch fortress is getting lifted off and a whole part of the battlefield just breaks away at the end of turn three uh, which is which is pretty cool, and anyone on that, you know, on either side is lost. Nice uh, as it to represent that now the whole board is floating up, um, and this is uh, objective based. Um, you got to get to the back back edge. So, um, Erica and I have found uh, some of the, some of the objective based games can be can be particularly fun, uh, and it it keeps it from bogging down to just one big scrum in the middle. Yeah. So. Um, interesting with the uh, uh, recycling attackers and one of the the main box game um, has one of those where your the bloodbound are going three waves. Um, these kind of games can be really good when you're starting off with a small force mm-hmm. and you want to you know maybe I've only got a couple of of units, um, but maybe after you kill one, my unit starts again at the back. Um, you know, and we, we kind of keep playing and we can do different things kind of thing. So if you've got a small force, these recycling kind of scenarios can be really good for making that force feel a little bit bigger um, and being able to kind of change your mind on how you attack the, the, the board the first 
you know, the first couple of rounds. Um, uh, I also mentioned that cause my son is three and I just played zombicide with him. Oh yeah. But all I did was so we set up the guys and zombies coming and he'd have to roll a dice and then they get sent to the back and then they keep coming. Oh, so all right. yeah. it's a great way to get your three year old playing too. So, <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, but what's, I mean, what's cool again, I mean, no matter what, through these stories, we get just these really cool scenarios with the Stormcast. I mean, yes, they're winning time and time again in the stories because this is, you know, this is their day to shine. Um, and uh, but these are all, you know, any any of these scenarios are really great for any of the armies that you're playing. Um, and it's just it's like we said, I mean, we've been playing so many other scenarios, we didn't even have time to get to these scenarios before this episode. Um, uh, so, you know, hopefully uh, we'll get to more of them. But there's there's so much to choose from. There's a wealth of of options. So that is our first foray into the realm of metal, Shimon. Um, we're actually really enjoying focusing around uh, different realms, um, but we have some opportunities with the, the stories that are coming up to, to shift that up a little bit. And we'd love to hear your response and thoughts on how we've been uh, focusing on specific realms. For instance, um, we're looking at the Call of Archaeon and the Path of Glory um, mm-hmm. stuff that's come out. Would that be a good um, kind of three-month progression to work on as maybe we um, create our own Chaos Warbands and and charge them for glory? Um, Would you like to hear that? Would you like us to go? Is there a realm you'd love us to spend some time on that's been featured in the stories? Um, Shyish, I know. Some other, there's other um, stories in Akshi and, and, um, um, sorry. Shimon. uh, Shimon and and, uh, Shyish. What would you like to hear from us? Um, Please uh, give us some feedback either on Twitter. um, We'll list our um, handles in just a minute. And then um, through email, which you'll also uh, find at the end of the episode. Basically, we got three or four ideas cooking on the the boiler, and we just figure out which one we're going to bring up first, which one we're going to serve up first. Davey and I are heading to Wapaka at the end of January, so probably before the next episode comes up. Um, I know, Mal, you've got some... um, uh, throne of Skulls, Throne of Swords, uh, what is no, it? So it's the, the it's birthday party. Games, yeah, Games Workshop 40th birthday party this weekend right. up in Northern. Yep. Yeah. Okay. So you can you can give us the uh, the rundown of that once you're uh, also filing for bankruptcy yeah. after. <laughs> <laughs> Christmas made easy at Warhammer World. Yeah. 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 So perhaps uh, next episode you'd want us to talk a little bit about going to events and um, maybe featuring that as a conversation. Um, let us know. Yeah. Well, thanks for listening to us. Uh, we'll let you get on your way, and uh, we'll see you next time. At the happy Marvel holidays, Hubs. yeah, and uh, happy New Year at this point. Happy twenty sixteen. Sure. Yeah, here's to another twelve months of awesome hobby. We have come to the end, and it's time for our reforging. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Mortal Realms podcast. If you know of someone looking to get into Age of Segmar, tell them about this episode. Follow us on Twitter. Mal is at Mortal Realms, Davey is at Red underscore Zeke, and Eric is at Stone Monk Gamer. Or write us at MortalRealms at gmail.com.
Testing. And on mic two. Mic two, testing. But mic one is more important than mic two. Check, check. All right. <laughs> you agree. Okay. I, I, but I, no, I have no comeback. Check.